name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As we mentioned, the Gospels of the month of Unshir were all about the, the food that the Lord offers us. And we spoke the last couple of weeks about the Eucharist and how to prepare for the Eucharist. Today, the Church gives us an example of a person who accepts the Lord into his home and into his heart. Uh, of course, and as an example for us, um, when we accept the Lord into our homes and our hearts. Of course, this man is Zacchaeus, and we've heard his story from when we were in pre-K and kindergarten, so we're all very familiar with the passage. Um, but this experience that Zacchaeus had when he met the Lord while he was up on the tree, this was a life-changing experience, something that changed his life and transforms his life from this day forward. Um, so I'd like to speak about this life-changing experience, and in doing so, I'll answer four questions. I'll answer the question of who am I to the Lord Jesus, and who am I among the people, uh, and who can the Lord, uh, what can the Lord Jesus do for me, and what should I offer to Him uh, on my, from my side? If you look at it, when we say who am I to the Lord, it says that when the Lord Jesus came to the place, He looked up and He saw uh, Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. Um, and if we remember, it says that the crowd was so thick that he couldn't see who the, the Lord Jesus, so he had to climb up into a tree to see him. And if you think of this scenario, there must have been thousands of people there around the Lord Jesus to the point where he couldn't see him. Yes, he was short, but there must have been thousands to the point where he had to climb up into uh, a tree uh, to see him. So, But yet we see what that the Lord looked up and he saw him. He knew him. Um, and I think the Lord sees us as well. And He sees each and every one of us, despite maybe being among the many, but He sees us individually. He sees us in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of maybe our a private place. He sees us. And this is sometimes when we say, okay, do we have the fear of God? This is part of having the fear of God, is realizing that the Lord sees me in every place and in any place. Um, and this idea of the Lord seeing me can either be something that is comforting or it can be something that is frightening. Of course it can be fright, uh, comforting when I feel like I'm going through a difficult time and I can't share this with anybody. It's something that I have to battle by myself. And when I re realize and recognize that the Lord sees me and understands me, then this is comforting. On the flip side of this, perhaps when I'm doing a sin that's maybe in my thought, in my mind, or in my heart, and then I recognize that the Lord sees even what's in my mind, in my heart, sometimes this can frighten me and hopefully bring me to repentance. Zacchaeus was, saw, was seen by the Lord Jesus while he was in the midst of a tree. We just, you know, were celebrating Jonah's uh, fast, and, and God saw Jonah in the midst of the sea while in the belly of a great fish. The Lord saw the Ethiopian eunuch while he was on the, in the middle of the desert going down the road to Gaza and he sent him, Philip, to come and to preach to him. The Lord sees us when we visit a sick person. The Lord sees us when we pick up the phone or send a text message to a brother or sister who didn't, we didn't see in church today. He sees this. The Lord sees us when we comfort somebody who is grieving. The Lord sees us when we do any act of charity, sending food to someone or welcoming someone when they first come to the church simply by a smile or a hello. 
The Lord sees everything. Not only did he see Zacchaeus, but he knew him by his name. And he called him Zacchaeus. And sometimes we might feel that as we're among you know, the, the people and in the crowd, we might feel that we're unnoticeable, that I'm just one among many. And sometimes we might even feel forgotten. We say, you know what, the servants used to call me, but they, now they don't call me anymore. Abuna doesn't uh, ask about me anymore. And sometimes we have these feelings of being unnoticed in among just the group of people. But we find comfort in knowing and understanding that the Lord knows us each by name. What does he say in the passage of the Good Shepherd? He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he calls them by name and leads them out. So even if everyone seems to have forgotten me, the Lord will never forget me. He wants this special relationship with you and I, my beloved. And this is the beautiful thing about God, is that he could have a special individual and customized relationship with you and me at the same time and every moment in a different way. This is what makes him God. Not only does he, uh, he sees Zacchaeus and, or he sees us and knows our name, but he wants to come in and dine with us. He wants to come into our homes, into the homes of our heart. He wants to come in. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your home. Of course, we're all this Zacchaeus and he wants to come in. Of course, we see here that the Lord is saying to him, I must come. I want to come into your house. I must come into your home. The Lord saw the desire of Zacchaeus that his home was open, his door was open. And he said, because you have an open heart, I will come in to your home and dine with you. Just as what we know in the book of Revelations, it says the Lord stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. So he will come in. And he wants to come in. So he knows, he sees us. He knows our name and he wants to come into our heart and dwell there. The Lord sees you and desires this meeting with you personally. Then who am I among the people? Who was Zacchaeus among the people? Before I speak about Zacchaeus for a moment, let me tell you about the burden that was on the Jewish people at the time. So the Jewish people, um, they were, they don't, they didn't make a lot more than what they needed as we do now or as they do now. They, they were, they're not of the wealthy class at the time because they were the ones who were being occupied by the Romans. So they barely made ends meet. So, while be, having this kind of strain, they had to pay several, had several taxes. They had to pay the Roman tax, okay, which was the job of the tax collector to collect from them. They had to pay what's called the temple tax, which was to pay for the sacrifices that were continually being offered in the temple. And they also had to pay, on top of that, their tithe. So imagine all of these things together. And then add to that a, a tax collector who was an oppressive tax collector, meaning he would take much more than what was needed. So, of course, this person who is an oppressive tax collector would be somebody who is hated among the community. So who is Zacchaeus? It says Zacchaeus um, was a chief tax collector and he was rich. You know, they called, if they wanted to yeah, curse anyone, the Jews wanted to curse anyone at the time, they called him a tax collector. Why? Because he was the most hated out of all of the people. Why? Because he was a double traitor. He was a moral traitor and then he was a political traitor. Why was he a moral traitor? Is because he used his position to become rich. 
So say, for example, the Roman government says, you know what, for this, you know, city, I want you to give us a hundred thousand denarii, uh, of taxes, you know, every year. And he says, okay, I can collect that. And has, he's like, what is my, you know, fee? What are you going to pay me to do this? And he said, whatever you collect above this is yours. So an honest tax collector would collect a little bit more just for himself. But one who is oppressive can collect up to double and more from the people so he can pocket all of the rest. So his wealth and his money comes from the exploitation of the people that he is among. This is his way as a moral trader. What makes him a political trader is that this person is a Jew. So he was a Jewish person living among the Jews as a Jew, but he's working for the Romans. He's like a trader that uh, like is not even like hidden. They know him and they see him and they go and have to pay their taxes to him and he's smiling at them while they're, he's giving them, their, they're giving them their money. So he's both a moral and political trader. So he's very much hated at the time. And he wasn't respected. How do we know he wasn't respected? You know, if there was somebody who was of high stature who would come, uh, what would happen if there was a crowd of people and he wanted to pass through? They would probably move out of the way, right? They would make way for him. Like if there was a big crowd and the president came by or somebody, the people would move out of the way to let him pass. But what happened with Zacchaeus? The crowd didn't move. They stayed and they were looking at Jesus. They couldn't care less that he was there, right? So he wasn't respected among them. And it was likely that they mocked him. Why? How do we know this? From our culture, right? Our culture, you know, if we see somebody who is of a high dignitary, not just climbing up a, a tree, just running, you know? If we saw, for example, in a CC running in the street, of course not exercising, but running with a suit, the people would probably make fun of him, right? Especially from us. Right? But they would probably make fun of him. Imagine now he's going to climb up into a tree. Is he like a kid? Is he a child? Right? They would make fun of him. So they were probably mocking him and making fun of him while they were seeing him running and climbing up into a tree. But all of this didn't, despite, uh, despite all this, this didn't hinder Zacchaeus from desiring to see the Lord. And we have to understand something very important, that if we want to see the Lord, we must be willing to humble ourselves. If we want to see the Lord, we must be willing to humble ourselves. If the Lord Christ himself humbled himself to live among us, then if we want to see him, we must be also be willing to be humbled. <clears throat> Don't look at the prestige of the world to gain the admiration of the people around us. Look to the Lord. If it means I must humble myself, then I'll humble myself. St. Cyril of Alexandria says something very beautiful. He says what? In no other way can a person see Christ and believe in him except by climbing up into a sycamore tree, by making foolish his earthly members. By making foolish his earthly members. And what are these earthly members? These earthly members are my pride. These earthly members are my desire for some kind of status among the community or among uh, the world at large. My passions. All of these are earthly members that we have to make humble if we want to see and meet the Lord. This is exactly what St. Paul said uh, or described about himself uh, in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. He says, But what things were gained to me, all of the knowledge of being a Pharisee and son of a Pharisee and all of these things that he thought because he knew the law very well, what did he do? It says, These I have counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, counting them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. You know, rubbish is like dirt, dung, nothing, right? So he counted all of these things that he knew before as rubbish. The things he put his um, uh, his desires in, the things he pursued for all of his life, the status he received as a Pharisee, and all of these he looked at and said, this is rubbish that I might gain Christ. He was willing to humble himself. Not only was Zacchaeus the chief tax collector, but he was also short of stature. It seemed like, why is this something that's important to mention? It seems pretty trivial. But I think sometimes when we look at this, we can think of it, oh yes, he was short of stature. And sometimes people who are short have like a short syndrome, short man syndrome, where they feel inferior. So if we look at this, sometimes we might feel inferior in our spiritual uh, status. Um, sometimes we might feel insufficient among our brethren, especially if we come to the church new. I remember when I was um, in high school, is when I first started, uh, where I grew up, we didn't have a Coptic church. So when we first started having one, I was probably in middle school. Uh, and then once I start, started learning the hymns, um, you know, in a year or two, I became pro- pretty, somewhat proficient in the liturgical hymns. And then we thought, okay, everything's good. And we know most of the hymns and everything's good. And then we went to a retreat here in San Antonio for th- this is the only time they did a three week hymn retreat. It was the first one. I think, uh, Girgis was there. Uh, I don't, I think it was like 95 or 96, something like this. And I went there and I thought like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be like, watch out. I, I know everything. And I get there and they start, okay, we're going to learn like the, the, the morning doxology. I'm like, what? And like, we're going to say the host, learn the host is in tizbah. I had, I had no idea about anything called tizbah. And I, I got there. I was like, oh man, <laughs> I know nothing. So I went there. I think I knew something and I left <laughs> knowing that I knew nothing, right? So I felt very small among everybody else who was there. And there was a, a deacon there who actually had a lot of the stuff memorized who was teaching us. So, you know, it felt very small and very inferior. And sometimes we might come to church and say, you know what? All the, these deacons and other people, they know the hymns very well and they're chanting. And I'm sitting here silent and I don't know it. So I might feel inferior. We might be time to prayer, maybe in a youth meeting or some kind of meeting. And everybody's, you know, fiddling through their agbeya and knowing where the psalms are and where the litanies are when I have no idea where anything is and I feel maybe inferior. Uh, I might listen to the synexarium and I might hear of some of the saints like St. James the Stylite who spent 40 years on a pillar praying. He's like, 40 years on a pillar? I can't even stand for five minutes in one spot in my room, in my whole bedroom, just to stand up and pray. And how, what am I compared to this, to this man? Again, we might feel inferior. We might feel inferior when I see... When I come in as an adult, uh, and I come late on Good Friday, and I see little kids who've been there from like 7 or 6.30 in the morning, and they spend the whole day, eight, nine hours, you know, on Good Friday, and they're, you know, they're interested, and they're passionate, and they're there, and I come in late, and when I tap in, I'm looking at my watch, looking at my phone, and these kids are paying attention. And I look at them and say, they're better than me, right? Again, I might feel inferior, or weak, or short of stature. Don't look at uh, anyone else, my beloved. Even in our weakness, the Lord says, I want to dine and dwell in you. The Lord isn't looking for prerequisites in order to come and dwell in our hearts. All He's looking is for the open door. He wants to come in. And believe me, what you don't know today, you will know tomorrow. Nobody here came out of their mother's womb knowing anything about the church. But they just kept coming, and what they didn't know today, they will know tomorrow. 
even if I'm old and I come as an you know old person, what you didn't know yesterday, you'll know tomorrow. The Lord wants to enter my heart, my beloved, despite what other people think about me and despite sometimes what I even think about myself. So what do I discover when the Lord enters into my heart? I discover, number one, that I'm very poor. I discover that I'm very poor. Zacchaeus recognized that what he valued and thought was making him rich was actually making him poor. He thought was making him rich was the accumulation of money, of wealth, and of status. He wasn't just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He thought all of this, he thought was making him rich. When the Lord entered into his house, what did he realize? No, no, I'm very poor. In front of this man, I have nothing. So he said, you know what? I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor, and the rest I'm going to uh, restore fourfold. Do you think anything was left? If you took, cheated someone, even if you say you gave him $10, and you cheat him out of $10, when you restore that, even after years, four times, and then add on that, you gave half of this your money to the poor, he likely had nothing left. So he went from being perhaps the wealthiest man in the city to the poorest man in the city in one dinner. In one dinner. This was not a gamble, my beloved. This was an investment. It wasn't a gamble. He didn't lose this by gambling. He lost this as an investment. He realized, you know what? If I want to really become rich as the Lord Jesus, then I must and realize that I am poor. The second thing he discovered was that the Lord could change the worst of sinners. He could change the worst of sinners. He saw that how he can change me. You know, if I... And the Lord never told him to give anything. But this is what he felt he needed to do because he saw as the money as the source of his problem. But he got this power to do this from the presence of the Lord in his home. We might look at this and the sins in our life and the different circumstances we're in and say, this is impossible for me to change. It is impossible for us when we do it alone. But when we do it with the Lord, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for us to change. He can change anyone, anyway, anyhow. And we've seen many, my beloved, and I have seen many, and maybe you know many people who seem to be impenetrable. You get sometimes those youth, youth and you like, and you, the parents speak to them, Abuna speak with them, the servants speak with them, and you feel like they're determined to go astray, and Abuna yustur alayhum. Then in five, ten years, these same servants, or these same uh, youth who are impenetrable, not only turn, but they become servants to my own children. Who did this? Did we do this? No. This is the Lord's doing. He can change the worst of sinners to become his servants and saints. The third thing he discovered or that we discover when he enters into our heart is that the change requires action. Change requires action. And this is you and I's spiritual struggle, is this action. As long as we depend on the Lord in our struggle, all things will be possible. He can change our pride. He can change our selfishness. He can change my angry temperament. He can change my controlling personality. He can change my desires. He can change my passion, my lust. All of these things He can change. 
The thing that we have to keep in mind is that it requires action. We must do what is our part. Zacchaeus did his part and said, you know what, what caused me pain was this money. So let me do something about it. And notice he didn't delay. He didn't think about it and say, you know what, let me think about it and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of the money later. No. In that moment, he made this decision and he began to do so. Then what happens um, when the Lord enters into our home and makes this change? We saw that the Lord sees us. The Lord knows our name. And He wants to dine in our hearts and be in our hearts. Despite what people think, and despite even perhaps what I think of myself, we will discover that we are truly poor. We can discover that the Lord can change the most wretched of us, myself being the first and the Lord, when He enters, uh, He can transform lives, but it requires my action. Then what finally did Zacchaeus hear? He heard from the Lord, Today salvation has come to this house. He was able to remove the love in Zacchaeus for money and gave him his salvation. He's able to exchange for my sin uh, his salvation. And we get a glimpse of this in this story. If you remember we, when Zacchaeus, we were said when he was running and he climbed up into a tree, the people were certainly mocking them, especially the, from the Middle East. You know, from the Middle East, we can make nukat ala anything and everything. Even in the midst of our misery, we make jokes, right? So certainly the people were mocking him. You know what the Lord did? The Lord said, today I'm going to come into your house. What did the people say? What did the people say? Can you go into the house of a man who is a sinner? So they turned and also mocked the Lord himself. And you know what the Lord said? Of course to himself. He says, Come to me all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will take your yoke. I will take this burden of mockery and exchange for your salvation. He did this. He came to bear our sin to give us his salvation. That's the exchange he wants to make. Every time we come to the liturgy and we pray the liturgy it's an exchange we come offer him our gifts and our offerings and also our sins and our burdens and in exchange he gives us his life giving body and blood may God be glorified in the church and ever amen